Hi everyone and welcome to the new episode of the On Design podcast. I'm your host, Justina Green. So as this episode gets released, we are entering December and I wonder how, how you're all doing. Is work super busy as you and everybody else tries to finish projects before the end of the year? Do you maybe work on retail projects that peak at Christmas? Or are you slowly winding down work or strategizing for next year? I have to say that I'm somewhere in the middle. Part of me would really like to focus and strategize for next year, but part of me is still really concerned that I'm not doing enough right here, right now, before this year ends. Um, one thing, though, <laughs> that's uh, going super well, actually, when it comes to next year planning is the next season of this podcast. We've already started to record new episodes and I've secured a full lineup of guests for you as well. And you'll absolutely love them. And some of them are pretty big names. Some of them are my creative heroes. So it'll be super exciting to get the new season out for you. And that'll be out uh, in the new year. In the last episode of this season, I'll share with you some of the names. So stay tuned and make sure you listen to the end of the of the of this season. I think the last episode will be around the 15th of December. Um, today, though, I have a super fun episode for you. But first, I wanted to let you know about the Conran Shop, who are supporting this show. The Conran Shop is one of the world's leading design retailers with stores in London, Paris, Japan and South Korea. Founded by Sir Terence Conran in 1973, the brand offers an eclectic, hand-selected edit of furniture, lighting and home accessories at all price points. They all champion Sir Terence's philosophy of plain, simple, useful objects for everyday living. From Eames icons by Vitra to future classics by up-and-coming talents, the Conran shop hosts some of the biggest names in the industry and consistently champions new makers too. Visit conranshop.com today and follow at the Conran Shop official on Instagram to immerse yourself in the world of design. Right, back to today's episode, our guest is Matt Blees. Matt is a full-time freelance illustrator. Before going into illustration full-time, he spent some years at branding agencies and also led the graphic design department at Liberty. In our conversation, we talk about Matt's transition from branding and graphic design to illustration, how he came to discover his style in his 30s, and how having kids has unlocked an unlimited resource for stories and observational illustrations. Matt also debunks the myth that you can't make money in illustration and shares his tips for getting seen and getting work post-pandemic. you love this chat. Let's dive in. So, I'm really happy to have you on the pod and we're going to start our conversation with five quick fire questions. So please give me short answers and mm -hmm. then we'll move on to the main interview. So my first question for you is if you weren't in your current role, what would you be doing? Um, what would I be doing? I would probably be, well, I'd be poor. I'd be very poor, I think, because I think I've only ever been able to draw. But um, I think I'd probably be uh, uh, maybe like a, working for like a branding agency or like an ad agency, I think. Yeah. And I'm very frustrated about commissioning illustrators and feeling like that's what I really wanted to be doing. But yeah. So there's no really another happy alternative life. There was no, nothing. It was always going to be creative. That is like from day one, I kind of, I mean, I would have hoped that I would have been a rock star, but that was, you know, that was never going to happen either. But um, yeah, no drawing and design. That was, that was definitely in, written in the stars for me, I think. Perfect. What would your dream project be? Uh, any, I guess, dream project. Um, maybe being commissioned by NASA to do something. I think that's like, I'm a bit of a space nerd, a bit of a kind of NASA, NASA fanboy. So yeah, I don't know what that project would be, but I guess anything, anything NASA related. I don't know if they need illustrations inside a space shuttle or something. I'm sure they do. Even like a, one of those like flight landing cards or something, you know, kind of like the emergency thing. I don't know. It'd be amazing. And I'm sure they're listening to this podcast. <laughs> Maybe. Well, if, if they are, I will, I'll do it for free. So yeah, just hit me up. Who's a creative that you admire? There's loads. Um, there's an artist that actually came across recently called Matt Bollinger. I don't know if you know him. Um, he is... I think he's from America, I think, but he's just had a, um, an exhibition in Dublin. He's, yeah, his painting is just like phenomenal. His painting is something that I've always wanted 
wanted to be better at. And it's just, you know, when you see someone that's just like, oh my God, that is just like, there's almost no point in me ever trying to paint because this person just, <laughs> it's just his, the way he sort of can sort of reference like light and shadow and color. I mean, I'm colorblind as well. And it's, there's so much color in his work, but it's just, oh my God, it's just, I, I can't stop looking at it. And it's, um, yeah, I saw it maybe about three or four weeks ago and I'm just, every day, I'm just like, yeah, looking at more and more. Um, yeah, he's amazing. Um, then there's, um, I mean, uh, who else? I mean, there's loads of people, but he, he's the person that's sort of really, you know, done it for me recently. What's one thing you cannot stand in design? Um, probably like sameness. Is that a word? Sameness? Laziness? I guess just when it's really, I guess, you know, again, it's kind of, things that advertising companies churn out when it's all kind of looks the same. I've just come back from New York recently and I was sitting on the subway looking at all the adverts, you know, they're kind of sitting opposite me you know, on, on the on the train. And I didn't really know any of the brands. And I kind of thought, wow, this brand have got the whole length of this this car, this train. Then I realized that it was all different brands, but it all looked the same. And it was just sort of slightly terrifying that there's this kind of there's kind of like a safe, people are quite safe and it kind of all has to sit in the same world. And it's, there's no, I think, yeah, sameness is, um, is what I don't like. And what's one piece of advice, uh, the best piece of advice you were ever given? Just do it. Nike. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know, in many ways it probably is actually, because it is just that, um, yeah, you just gotta, you just gotta crack on. You gotta, gotta make it happen really. Um, maybe uh, my advice that I would give would be to keep a book of all the advice that people give you in case someone asks you for there you go <laughs> but, um, yeah very good and that's our quick fire round done and I have so many questions and actually you know talking about Nike and just do it what's the last thing when you applied that advice kind of that you just um, did it get out of bed at 5 30 when my daughter's saying daddy daddy and uh there's definitely like a thing as a parent where it's like you can go into a day like oh god here we go or you can be like okay here we go showtime and it was, uh, that was definitely this morning um but not every morning but today i i just did it yeah because by the time we're recording I might have been up for about two and a half hours and you've been up for about six hours straight by now yeah yeah I know it's um it's funny it's a it's a I'm still not used to it my daughter's four and my son will be two on New Year's Eve and um it still feels like it's like the most new thing ever yeah does it still after two years definitely 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 you every day is different you constantly learning and reassessing what you know and how little you know and is it even important to know anything I don't know it's and how have they affected your work in terms of what you talk about but also how you work in every possible way they've affected my work I mean in how I work so I used to be I used to get up at like you know 5 30 I'd be in the studio at six I'd like I don't know, I had this thing of like, I just loved sort of like working. This is, this is the, I, I definitely have a kind of competitive side to my brain when I'm working. I don't know where that comes from, but the idea of like nailing an idea before other people get to work is like, I'm like, yeah, I love that. It's crazy saying out loud. But, um, but yeah, that early morning work time is, you know, disappeared. Also like late night, I kind of, Basically, I was useless in the day at working, and now that is the time that I have to work. Um, so they've they've definitely they've affected like timings um, and content wise. I mean, oh my god, like they've just opened up like you know a wealth of like it's uh, you know my uh, you know my work is basically about just trying to portray like a feeling or like a an insight into like a moment in life or something. And I think you know I could I. You know, before the kids, that you know, that I'd be drawing upon, I don't know, just awkward social interactions or, you know, skateboarding or cycling or whatever. And it's like now, it's like, 
there's just so much. it's like the it's kind of like beautiful what they've given me is beautiful it's like they've given me this like a whole box of tricks to be like okay you know here you go dad you know, knock yourself out um and drawing everything slightly tired it's yeah it's kind of i think my line work has changed a little bit um i do actually do a lot more pencil work now than than before and it's, it's been it's a bit looser the stuff my personal work is looser it's kind of just trying to get ideas and quicker and maybe being less precious about stuff just generally and less precious about things um this is slightly off off topic well kind of not well you know those those nice um noguchi lamps like the vitro so before we had kids we bought this you know it's really beautiful like lamp and it was like it was our my wife and it was like our prized possession in our living room and um, since having kids, that lamp has basically just been completely destroyed. Like we've had fingers through it, Lego through it. Magnus, my son, picks it up and pretends it's a rocket. You know, you walk in, he's hitting the cat with it. And it's just in tatters. It's literally in tatters. But it's almost way more beautiful now than it was. And it's like, it's just accepting things. Like, and I think it's the same thing with like how they affect my work. It's just being like, okay, like... You know, I see how this pans out. But yeah, I don't know if I've answered that question. I went off on a tangent. You've answered it in many, many ways that give us now different routes to kind of to go yeah. farther. And going back to the idea of being useless in the day, I find it very interesting because I have it similarly, but I find it so hard and I find it so I find so much guilt in not doing stuff sometimes during the day. Oh my God, because yeah. I find that, like, the first thing, I'm brilliant. Yeah. Evenings, I adore. I can go till, basically, it's until bedtime, I'm doing yeah. stuff, and, you know, and then I go to bed. But that time from one, two o'clock into maybe five. Yeah. I'm useless. And whatever will take me the next day in the morning, an hour, takes me three. Because yeah. I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram, and I just faff and answer an email, or, like, look at like business admin but I still when I do do something else I find I feel so much guilt and also it's the thing that you mentioned that when you work early in the morning or in the evening there's no emails nobody wants anything from you yeah and that can be so freeing as well it can be although I, I say 80% of my clients are in America. So that I definitely still get these sort of, you know, random emails coming through at night about stuff. And it's like, oh my God. I think it's like, I feel like back in the, you know, in the sixties, look at Don Draper in the afternoon, he had a nap. Like, and that is, that's what we should, he didn't have the internet. He didn't have Instagram. He didn't have like at Don Draper on Instagram. He just photographs of old fashions and, you know, he just had a nap, and I feel that's that's what if that's he he understood when he worked. There's, I saw something like a year ago. I'm sure it was like a, it was like the times of certain creatives and like when they were most productive. And I think it's quite normal for creatives to be you know to have, keep really unsociable hours. And I think we just need to embrace it a bit more. You know, the daytime is for people with like sensible jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so, how did you find the switch from kind of doing that in unsociable hours, and then kids coming in, and then is that daytime, the normal job time that becomes your time? Yeah, I haven't quite figured it out yet. I'm still trying. Um, we got a new studio, which kind of helped. Um, uh, yeah, kinda, yeah. But I think do you know what's really good actually about having we've got kids, so our home is always kind of chaos. And then having a separate studio, which I'm really lucky to have, is amazing because you can kind of walk away from that chaos, kind of like you know, like there's like a sort of bad man in a movie when they walk away from explosions with their backs turned it's kind of like that you know you walk away from home with like toys everywhere and screaming kids and you're like yeah i'm going to the studio and i'm gonna smash it um it's not like that at all but yeah it's it's actually it's been yeah i don't know it's the daytime still i also i'm this i i turned i'm 41 so i'm definitely in the middle of a midlife crisis i got a new studio which there's no neighbors. So instantly I bought a big guitar and I used to play guitar, but I got a new guitar, got a drum kit arriving, got a piano. I'm not, I mean, I can't play the piano. I can play the guitar, but like, it's quite good to have like, there's all of these distractions here, which kind of make me want to come here as well. Like even not to work, it's kind of, 
even if it wasn't working, I'd want to be here. Um, so that rock star idea is still there, right? The dream is, yeah. I'm literally, I can see my guitar is just there. Like <laughs> I haven't picked, haven't picked up. They're dusty. It's that's, I've been really busy, so they're dusty. But um, yeah, it's still there. One day, maybe, maybe like a mature rocker, I'll come out with like an album about um, you know, line weight and. Pencil. Also, life experiences can go into the album, right? Exactly. Because yeah, what exactly. do young rockers know about life, right? Exactly. And I could do my own artwork. It'd be great. I've never done an album cover, so yeah, maybe I'll do my own. The Conrad Shop is here to satisfy all your Christmas gifting needs as we enter the most wonderful time of the year. From design-led presents for the whole family to eye-catching decorations for your home, there is something for everyone at the home of iconic designs and future classics, even pampered pets. Head in store and online to find the next festive favorite. Visit conranshop.com today. So you're talking about your illustration as well and your kind of viewers' clients. Uh, can you tell us about how your journey with illustration started? What your style looks like and how did you arrive at it? Uh, okay, journey with illustration start. I mean, I'm not going to go really super far back, but you can. I, I think one of my- my, one, I think one of my earliest memories was being like in reception or like, you know, very, very early primary school. And I, I, I remember drawing the classroom like as in a plan sort of format, like, you know, the tables and all the kids like so. And, uh, and I remember the teacher coming over and being like, you know, looking at it and she just didn't believe that I'd drawn it. And, and she was like really questioning. She was like, what is this? You know, where's it from? And I was like, I, I was like, what? And I kind of, I think I kind of really, I was like, oh, maybe that's quite good. Maybe this, and I just, and then I just always drew, like, it was, you know, I'd be, if I was watching TV, I'd be drawing, I'd, you know, drawing was like a, like a pastime, you know, I just drew all the time as a kid, absolutely loved it. Um, I'd like stacks and stacks and stacks of paper, you know, and the, you know, the, just scribbles all over it all. Um, and then I, I think probably got to like, you know, secondary school and sort of thinking about art school and stuff. And somebody gave me some advice, which, do you know what? Probably wasn't the best advice. They said to me, illustrators don't make any money. You can't, you can't survive as an illustrator. You need to, you need to go into design. You need to be like an architect or you need to be a graphic designer or something. And I think it was a friend of the family. And I remember my dad was like, oh, you know, so-and-so who's an architect said, you're not going to make any money, you know, shouldn't go to art school, you should go to like do design. I was like, oh my God, okay. Yeah, maybe this is, maybe this is what I need to do. So I went to, I didn't go to art school. I did uh, a course uh, called, it was called Interdisciplinary Design. And then they changed the name of it halfway through to Design Futures, because I think it sounded a bit more kind of St. Martin's or something. Um, and that was basically like three, it was kind of like a, like product furniture, sort of 3D. It's kind of like, you know, jack of all trades. Because um, design futures doesn't tell us much, right? What it's about. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't say much. And I think it was quite a new course and it was quite experimental. It was actually, it was really interesting. It was kind of like, okay, so say, say for example, you give a product designer a brief. It's like, okay, you have to design a TV. And straight away, they get on a piece of paper, they'll start sketching out shapes of like, you know, and I think with the design futures logic, you say design a TV and they say, what is a TV? You know, it's like, what does it, you know, what is a TV in 30, 40 years? It's kind of that kind of way of thinking, which is really, is actually really interesting and, I, and has affected how I work. Anyway, so then uh, graduated, went to, and we were in Scotland. So London was like a, felt like a distant land of promise and, we were told all the way through, when you graduate, you're going to go down to New Designers Show. You're going to be there. You're going to show your work. And people from like, you know, Philips or Sony or all these different places, like they're going to come in and they're going to be like, right, you're going to get a job. Come with us in this magic design bus. And, you know, you're going to have all this money in, uh, you know, this penthouse apartment. And we're like, oh, my God, it's going to be amazing. We got to New Designers and nobody was there. No one was there. It was dead. It was completely dead. And it was we were kind of crushed, like, you know, and someone, there was, a, I don't know who it was, a stranger came up to me and, uh, yeah, he said to me, he was like, he's like, I love your work. It's amazing. He said, but 
you know, what are you expecting from this show? And I was like, a job. And he's like, it's not going to happen. He's like, you've got to go. He's like, go, go and go out there, go, go into London, go and find some people. And I just literally, I remember I just like got my bag and left the show and I had a copy of Design Week and just looked at the back of Design Week and, you know, it had like all different addresses of ages. I don't know if it was maybe like, I don't know why those addresses of different studios, but those addresses. And I picked, I picked the closest one. It was Jam and a place called Jam in uh, Old Street. And... I just went there and I rang the buzzer and it said, you know, in the back of the sign week, it said the name of the, the um, creative director was Jamie Anley. And I rang the buzzer and I was like, hello, um, uh, I've got a meeting with Jamie. I don't know what, I was just complete black mode. And they were like, oh, Jamie's on holiday. I'm so sorry. Can anyone else see you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I went up and showed this guy my work that I had. And he was like, yeah, great. It's great, you can come in for an internship. And I was just like, oh my God. Like it it was just such a it was such an amazing feeling to think like I've just made something happen by just go, you know, this is the kind of just do it mentality. It's like you can just you can make stuff happening, but happen by being proactive and just getting out there. And um so I got that got that internship. Um and they yeah, jam they were they were kind of really interesting. They did a lot of like a lot of branding stuff with people like Audi and um, and you know, other brands, and they would turn like old pieces of like tech into furniture. Or it was like there was a really interesting creative kind of process. It was very very similar to like you know the um, course that I'd done. It kind of suited it quite well. But all of the work there that I was doing, I was kind of sketching. I was drawing. We did a big project with Vodafone. And Jamie, who's the creative director there, was like, wow, your sketches are really good. You know, maybe you could be sitting on the meetings. And as we're talking about ideas, you can be sort of drawing them and presenting, you know. And I did that in quite a few meetings. And it was, and they loved it. And the clients loved it. And it was kind of this kind of like live sketching. And it kind of, it just gave me so much confidence in, in, in illustration and drawing and kind of almost seeing where that could sit within that world. Um, then that kind of internship sort of ended. And I was doing my portfolio and trying to, not as an illustrator, as a designer, as a kind of, you know, graphic designer, you know, still didn't quite know what I was. Um, my brother, was he was doing a season in Chamonix. He's 10 years older than me. And he was sort of like always encouraging me over the phone, like, yeah, what are you doing? You've got another internship lined up. And then he's called me one night. He's like, listen, bro, there's a bunch of, graphic designers that are staying in my chalet and I've got you an internship. And I'm like, I'm not a graphic designer. He said, I've told them you're the best graphic designer in London. And they said, you can come in on Monday. And I was like, I, I don't know how to use Photoshop. I can't use Illustrator. I don't know what I'm doing. Anyway, I went in, it was Harry Steele in the T building at the time. And I met Nick and I showed him my very illustrative, you know, kind of portfolio. And yeah, they gave me an internship and straight away it was working on like, you know, kind of Nike jobs and Coca-Cola jobs and stuff, brands like Ila Kishimoto. And it was, it was really, it was, it, to be honest, also there was a huge element, I don't know if you've ever seen Nathan Barley, but there was a huge element of uh, Nathan Barley-esque sort of uh, vibes going on. So it was, you know, I watched that religiously and I was like, oh my God, I'm literally... I'm in that world. But, um, but you know what? You mentioned Nathan Barley. And I think that the first thought was like, yes, I unfortunately I have seen this. Yeah. <laughs> so because yeah. um, I'm not um, British, I'm Polish, but my husband is English and he's been introducing me to all these special things. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was so, that was such an amazing show because it was so insightful and really like, it was like so accurately portrayed a moment in Shoreditch and it, it's kind of painful. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, was, I was working on all the stuff in Harry Steel and they, they were, you know, we'd be working on a project for Nike or whatever and they'd be saying to me, okay, yeah, you, these sketches are great, but like, you know, it's time you get it onto the map, get it into Photoshop, get it into Illustrator, start, you know, and I was thinking, like, I don't, I literally don't know how to use these programs. And there was um, uh, one of my friends was on the other side of the table and I was like, you know, messaging her, like, how do I open a new file? You know, and she'd be like, do this, you know, and I was kind of like, I literally learned over Messenger how to do, how to use stuff. Um, 
and then yeah, I was there for I was there for quite a long time, and yeah, you know, it was it was just the way I'm trying to run with the question, illustrate. Yeah, so basically, I was always illustrated. So I, even at Harry Steel, so you know, jobs for Coca Cola would come in, and it was like they wanted like an illustrative billboard campaign, and we would commission. You know, we'd get a bunch of illustrators to come in, and we'd commission you know loads of them, and then it was always like, oh Matt, maybe you can do one as well, you know, or and then. I do one and then you'd be walking down the road and there'd be a billboard with your work on it. And it's like, it's just, it's kind of insane. It's like, um, so yes, yeah, so I kind of like accidentally built up this illustrative portfolio um, just by being kind of like within that, what you know, within that kind of world. And there wasn't much, there was, you know, there's a handful of things I'd done. And then as I was doing that, I was I realized, I was like, this is what I want to be doing. I want to be drawing. I want to, I want to do this as a full-time job. I, you know, I love graphic design. It's kind of like arranging things neatly on a page. I love it. Um, but illustration was, was my, was my passion. So I, uh, again, in that kind of just do it mentality, I basically did a bit of digging and found, I kind of thought maybe I could do editorial stuff. And I, did a bit of digging and found the um, name of the art director at The Guardian. Maybe it was at The Guide in The Guardian, which is like a little supplement thing. And sent him a bunch of my work. Um, and then he called me up and commissioned me to do some stuff. I think it was even like a cover for The Guide, like straight away. Um, and then, yeah, and then that kind of relationship with The Guardian started and I've worked with them for years and years and years. And um, yeah. But I mean, on top of what my style was definitely not what my style is at the moment. It was very, you know, especially working in a design agency, it would be like, oh, could you do it in the style of, and you know, so-and-so, and you would you kind of emulate someone else's style. And that happened so much that when it came to do my own work, I was like, what is my style? What, you know, I don't even know what it is. And that was kind of quite an interesting process to go through to try and, you know, like, un, you know, because I could draw, you can kind of do multiple styles, but what is, you know, what feels true to you? That was, yeah, an interesting journey. Um, and how did you find it? Kind of how did you find your style? Um, I think it was, it, even so after Harem Steel, I then went to Liberty. Um, I took that Liberty job because I wanted to give myself more time to find my style. I wanted more of a nine to five job so I could be, because I was doing so much freelance work at Harriman Steel, it's just an agency work anyway. Is, you know, you're working at weekends. So I was just just working all the time. I, I kind of saw the liberty move as a chance to kind of um, give my illustration work a bit more breathing space. And all the way through that, I was still trying to find find what felt right. And it wasn't actually until, um, yeah, I, was, I, I moved into a new flat and I was, I was still doing stuff for The Guardian. I kind of got locked into this particular style in The Guardian. And I, I had a column there every week. You know, it was like every Friday they briefed me. And I'd, I'd send them, you know, drawings in more of the style that I was kind of like, you know, adopting. And they'd be like, oh, we love that so much. But yes, let's stick to the, let's stick to the style you've been doing for, you know, the last few years. And I understand, you know, it's consistency and stuff, but it, it almost didn't, there wasn't a space for me to do this new thing. And um, my one of my best friends was living with me at the time, and we were just we just went. I think I just went through this kind of crazy. We'd stay up really late, and we'd go skateboarding. And we used to, there was a Tesco car park opposite. I was thirty. I was a bit. I was old enough to know better. But I was just like, I kind of suddenly experienced. I was just there was just this whole. I was at work, and then I was skateboarding and drawing late into the night with my friend, and it was just. It, was, it felt really free. It felt really like, you know, nothing to do with commission work. And and suddenly something just clicked into place where I just, it, I, I remember, like, I still got the drawings where I was just like, wait, this this feels, this is right. This is me. It's totally honest. It's, you know, it's not for anyone else. And, um, yeah, and then from that point, I kind of I knew that that was, that was where I wanted to go. And, I, and then I kind of, I actually... The Guardian stuff, I, you know, I kind of like wound it down, um, and then, then yeah, people start commissioning the sort of the new style. 
Uh, so very yeah. much while you had you know the agency job and then the liberty job. Yeah. You were working as a freelance illustrator already, right? So yeah, your days yeah. sound very full. Yeah, it was yeah, it was it was extremely busy. It was chaotic and but because it was so you know, I never thought I'd get paid to draw. I I feel like I still feel like the luckiest person on the planet. This is not a real job. This is you know, this is a joy. It's a pure joy to do this. So seeing seeing that I could have an opportunity to do that it was just yeah you I would have done anything I would have I would have worked I would have not slept for a week if I could have you know to try and make that happen so yeah very very busy during that time even with the liberty job I I mean yeah there was a certain amount of um sneakiness going on where you know I'd be yeah I ran the design team there so I you know getting designers in certain projects and then I, you know, I had it like a, you know, I'd be working on like a guardian job on the slides, you know, trying to do it whilst I was in the studio, sort of like doing a bit of liberty stuff, a bit of guardian stuff. You know, it's like multitasking. I started taking Fridays off every week um, to try and do um, freelance stuff. But yeah, eventually I, it, the balance, you know, it, I, was, I was having so much freelance stuff that it just didn't make sense anymore. And then that was the point that I left. And then I went full-time freelance. It can be so hard that moment in time when you still have to work full time and you have your regular job and you're building up all your other work. It it can be really hard to keep both going because it's such an intense time. Yeah, it is, and something has to give as well. You know, there's you know, and yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of a horrible thing. You can't be delivering both to a very high standard. So, um, so yeah, there's definitely a tipping point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't actually, I didn't leave Liberty until I got signed by Breed. That was, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that I kind of needed that sort of, it's not really a safety net, but it was kind of like a mental safety net to know that there was someone else that thought you were good enough to make a living out of it. It was like, you know, I'm getting lots of freelance stuff, but I also, you know, I want like a grown-up behind me. Um, and so were you looking for an agent so that you can leave Liberty or did it happen that Breed approached you and then you thought, okay, now I'm definitely ready to go? I think I'd done a bit of work with Breed. I think Olivia's quite clever and she would sort of give me a few projects. I met her, I can't remember how we met, but I think, um, I think she had contacted me and she would give me a few projects that maybe she that weren't right for her current artists that she that were on her roster, just to kind of see how I worked and how we would work together, and that had happened a couple of years before. And so we kind of knew each other. We'd done a few things together, and then I think I had spoken to her about you know leaving and wanting to do this full time, and then uh, and then yeah, then it all kind of happened. And actually, I think it was ended up being like on Independence Day was actually the day that I had left Liberty. You know, which was all kind of quite poetic and stuff. Um, but yeah. And you said at the beginning um, of our conversation that when you were choosing what to study, many people told you that to be an architect, to be a graphic designer, because you can't make any money as an illustrator. So the question is, can you make money as an illustrator? And if you can, what's your, what are your top tips of actually doing it successfully? Scale is it? Uh, well, yes, you can. You can make money as an illustrator. You definitely, of course, you can. Um, you really can. Uh, maybe I don't do it in the, in the way that a typical. I mean, I don't feel like a typical illustrator. I didn't. I didn't do illustration at art school. I haven't studied it. I still feel, feel like I'm blagging it. I definitely have because I've kind of come up through like a kind of like branding, advertising, design way. There's probably a certain application of my work that helps me sort of like yeah like kind of like tackle those larger scale projects um yeah i yeah you can i think that like i do you know a lot of like ad campaigns and in the us and stuff and that's you know that is when you know we're going to be completely like you know transparent that is when you start to make the money because it's like it's such a big territory and you know you kind of the buyout rights for you know, billboards and ad campaigns across America that just like, so you can do a certain amount of work and then there's this buyer, right. And then that one, and then that one, it just like adds it on and adds it on. 
see how you can. But those jobs aren't, you know, it's not, they're not super frequent, but they do come in. But I think just hustling all the time, you got to hustle. You got to really, really, really want it and work really hard. But yeah, I, I feel, I think that I just have that mentality of feeling like I'm going to get found out one day and they're going to say, you're not a real illustrator. You can't be here. So I'm, I'm the time that I'm allowed to do this. I am like, I'm going to make it work. Um, yeah. And when you say, you know, hustling, we know that um, when you were starting, even, you know, in, in, in design as a whole, you, you know, you went to the studio, pressed the buzzer and wanted mm -hmm. to have a meeting with the creative director. In 2022, kind of 23, what do you think hustling for an illustration, for an illustrator looks like, or what do you think it should look like? I can tell you what it looked like a couple of years ago, even a year ago, it looked like DMing people on Instagram, like finding who you wanted to work for and messaging them and sending them your work and kind of getting, building up relationships with people. Definitely, 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 definitely. That's, but that has changed. Instagram has changed and I don't think it really works in that way anymore. Um, so I don't, I think it's just being super, just meeting people. It's meeting people in real life. It's kind of going that extra, you know, mile and trying to, you know, forge relationships and just, yeah. People aren't going to come to you. You know, I just, I just, I went to America for a friend's wedding, but whilst I was there, you know, it was, um, I had loads of meetings with people that I really want to work with, you know, and I think you just got to, you got to try and make those things happen. Um, yeah, real life, real people, especially after COVID, you know, it's, it's quite a, it's a joy to be able to do that. Because that's the thing, right? Because m many of us might not be used to it anymore after COVID, but also for, young illustrators are coming out of unis you know the only life they know so far is the covid life right so yes, they might yeah. have never done the face-to-face -face thing yeah so for I them it'll be yeah completely new i think i think the key is to fight like to, is to think who do you really want to work for because that that kind of passion is going to come across when you're like when you meet that client like people want to employ people that like love the brand or love the magazine or whatever it is you know like the new yorker is my, my all-time favorite magazine i just absolutely love it so much and i would do any any job that they would ever send to me i would do it and i think that you know i haven't done a cover yet but that is that's like a bucket list job and i think you kind of need that like love for something like the same way when i was doing stuff for nike within harem steel like i love them and you know it's just yeah you kind of need that and so i think any any new illustrators it's just think about who you where you want to be olivia my agent is always saying to me like who you know who do you want to work with who you know who are your top five people that you want to work with like let's try and make it happen and it's like you need to think like that rather than just sort of sit there in your studio waiting for an email to ping from a random job um seek it out just do it <laughs> In your illustration portfolio, we can see some work done for Rafa. Mm -hmm. We can see work done kind of around skateboarding as well. And talking of finding work that you really resonate with, I wanted to ask you with the Rafa projects, for example, did you first have work that included cycling and then Rafa you know, saw it and that's how the commission came about? Or work with Rafa then added kind of cycling to your portfolio? Definitely had cycling in there first. Um, and I think that's the same, that's kind of what I was just saying. It's like people want to employ people that have a passion for something. Like a cycling brand are unlikely to employ, I mean, it does happen, but like to commission someone that doesn't understand cycling or the nuances, you know, such a weird world cycling um, and skateboarding and everything, you know, it's kind of, you kind of need to love it and understand it um, for the most part. Um, Yeah, so I definitely had all that work was already there and then they kind of they saw that and liked it. Yeah. And when thinking about, because, you know, that's a niche. Uh, cycling is a niche. Skateboarding is a niche. And what are your thoughts on illustrators that working with niches? Because, you know, that's niche work. But then also just before we started to record, you told me about doing work for big um, US clients that are not a niche and might need something that's for everyone. So how do you balance that in the work that you do? But also what's your advice for others around creating work for niches versus creating 
work or portfolio that can work for large ad campaigns? I think it's to try, I guess all of the stuff I do is trying to find that little insightful moment, whether it's within cycling or skateboarding or whether it's to advertise like uh, a bank, uh, which is like a project I've just done in America. And I think it's like, even though, even though the size of this project can be huge, um, I think the, the little thing that you can bring your little, you know, what you do, that has to stay the same. Um, I mean, it might get, like I was saying to you earlier, it might get, you know, ironed out on a big commercial job and not come through to the final part, but you know, they've still got to start. They've got kind of got to start the same. And that's all your commercial work, right? That's kind of client work we're talking about. But then there's also the side of having, say, a print shop and selling prints kind of directly to consumers. Mm. And I wanted to hear from you as well about, again, that side of work where it's commissions versus personal work and prints. How the two work? And again, the role of kind of Instagram in finding your audiences mm-hmm. or in general, find how do you find your consumer audiences? Yeah, so, well, let's put prints to ones. Prints don't really work for me. I mean, they did, like, I just, I don't know. I struggle with prints. I just, I don't know what it is. Um, you know, when I do, people are always contacting me saying, oh, please, can you do some prints? You know, can you update your shop with prints? And then you do it. And then, you know, you sell like a handful and you think, oh, that was just like a pointless effort, you know, to do that. Um Apart, you know, unless you're doing them, I feel like what has worked recently is like riser prints have worked quite well because you can kind of keep the cost down, and um, also I think that aesthetic like will actually worked quite well with my with my work. But yeah, I had, I, prints haven't quite worked. So I, even though I have done them in the past, like I tend it's not something that is like is ever really like on my mind to do. Um, it's always quite nice when you actually do sell through them. You think, oh, okay, I've got you know some more space in my plan chest for something else now. Um, but yeah, with the balance between commercial and personal work, I mean, there's, I think that it used to be, what, like how much, like, is the question, how do I sort of, you know, in a week, like. Is it, is personal work important? Do you still do it as well? And in terms of your like output, um, I guess, financially, is it all commercial work or does it come from different sources as well? Uh, financially, it's it's not really personal work, no. So I guess that's the that's the print thing. Um, so no, my personal work is like my personal work is the work that gets me the commercial work. My commercial work does not get me commercial work. So that's interesting. Yeah, and that's a hundred percent. So all every single client, whether it's Apple or New Yorker or whoever, they will always reference personal work, and they will say we love this thing that you've done about being a parent, you know, or this like really this, you know, this emotion that you've captured. We want you to do that for us, which is great. But when you apply that to kind of like the very, very corporate work, like a bank or a life insurance company, it is hard to get to capture that beautiful insight and, you know, flip it and make it. Um, so that's always the, that's the challenge. Um, sometimes it works. In fact, sometimes there's, you know, there's work that I do, um, that I've done for, you know, big corporate projects where, you know, it, it literally looks exactly like personal work. You know, you can't, and there's so, in fact, there's so much work that I do that's actually commercial work that looks exactly the same and has the same feeling as my personal work. Um, and that, for me, that is, that's when it's successful. I'd, I'd like it to be that you literally cannot tell that it all looks the same. I'm kind of getting there, I think, maybe. Because yeah. that's the dream, right? That you do get hired for your style, but also for how you tell stories, and the both stay in the work. Yeah, and I, I think I've always I've always said to people, you know, like I still I don't really feel even now I don't really feel like an illustrator. I feel like there's so many people that can draw so much better than me. But what I do feel I can bring to it is is like the idea and the concept and the feeling and the that's that's the thing that I have that's the skill and it happens at the moment to look like it does um so yeah I think people there's definitely people come to me for like you know we want you to put your way of thinking not they don't they're not saying we want you to draw it in your style they say we want you your way of thinking of how to communicate this concept of this idea 
and that way of thinking, that observational way of thinking that has a lot of humor in it as well. Has it come naturally to you or was there time where the work wasn't like that and it kind of evolved in that way? I, I mean, I, I guess my dad is basically complete. My dad is like, a, he's grown up watching, you know, the two Ronnies and um, like all the kind of classic, you know, classic old school British sort of com- you know, comedy, you know, Spike Milligan and everything, which is like, uh, so I've been brought up with just him, like just, he, you know, he's like the ultimate dad joke sort of pun. Like you can't have a conversation with him where there isn't some sort of wordplay or pun delivery or, and, and I managed to somehow turn that into my work. I've taken his joy of like words and sort of playing with ideas and turned it into drawings basically. So I've, yeah, I've grown up with it and it's, it was, it was, this just feels completely normal to, I, I could not do a drawing, a straight drawing, like a, like a non, yeah, that just doesn't, if I was to sit down and try and draw something that didn't have an idea or didn't have any humor to it, it would just feel completely alien. So. Yeah. So yeah. that's your way of doing it. That's just that's, my way of doing it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And a final question to wrap our chat is what's next for you and kind of what you're working on and where you see yourself going kind of what direction would you like to take i'm definitely at quite a big crossroads i think at the moment um i think that i have yeah i've been i've basically i've I've done this year's been very busy with uh, lots of commercial work and I'm taking a bit of a step back and just reassessing where like sort of style and process and kind of all those things of how I want it where I want it to go because you can get so locked into your way of doing it and when you're so busy you're kind of like just churning it out bang, 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 bang. and um, and you don't really have time to sort of to think or even on project you know where there's you know say you want to start like including some watercolor as color in a project, like the deadline doesn't allow that. So you're kind of like, you're doing things, you're choosing stylistic things based on the the timings rather than on actually what would be right for the project. So I'm having a big, a big think about that and a bit of a, yeah. So it's, it's, it's quite, it's really, it's a really exciting point that I'm at, I feel. So yeah, it's good. And that's also why I've kind of, I've sort of eased off Instagram as well kind of just slowly stepped away and let it all just um exist as it is because yeah i'm sort of changing things up a bit so yeah so there's a and new what, era coming up there's a new era yeah yeah so we'll wait and see but i'm yeah i'm working on some like really nice projects at the moment um and yeah quite excited about those as well um but yeah it's a it's a interesting fun exciting time and when do you think we can expect to see the new work or new style or the, the new mat? <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think how much longer I've got in my bank balance to keep me going, deliberating <laughs> about. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think it's, I think probably, yeah, early next year, I think. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I mean, it, you know what? People might look at it and be like, that's exactly the same as before, but maybe I know that I'm actually you know, doing it completely differently. But um, of course, and even like you say about the process, right? Because on Instagram, people won't see the process, but you might have changed completely the way you work or the timelines exactly. you get for projects. And yeah, exactly. You know. I think it's just doing doing less is actually is 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 really important. Like you know, I have a habit of just you know, kind of all. So I'm I get so many commissions coming through weekly that it's like it's hard it's hard to like know what to take on and what to turn down now turn i do turn down a lot of stuff but there's definitely this year i found like what my limit was i was like you know what this is this is more than enough this is the this is i've got this is almost too many projects on at the moment and you kind of you can't quite there's no room to breathe there's no room to experiment or to to try out slightly different things. And I think it's when you do that, when you kind of push things a bit, that's when the magic happens. I think I don't want to lose that, that moment of being able to do that. So I need to take on less and um, deliver more. Good, good. <laughs> well, we really look forward to it, to seeing your new work. And um, 
thank you for sharing your thoughts. And I think, you know, when you say about the imposter syndrome and not having done illustration, I don't think it matters at all these days. No, I don't think it does, yeah. No, and because it's about the ideas. And then, like you say, it's about people, right? And building relationships. Um, so, like, for others listening as well who are thinking about uni and the courses, I can also tell that I did it. It wasn't worth it. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just all about applying ourselves. Because I think sometimes we think that, oh, if I did that, then I'm, you know, it's legit. But it just doesn't matter. No. Every, everyone is faking it. Fake it until you make it. So, yeah, you just got to... Just got to work hard, and I just think keep it's, just, it. it's just about loving it, isn't it? It's like anything you do, if, you, know, you know, being a doctor or a banker or an ambulance driver. You know, you've got to you've got to absolutely love it and be like, I'm going to be the best at this, and just that's you got to approach every day like that. Um, so yeah, brilliant. That's the best advice to finish on. Thank you so much for your time, um, Thank you. and yeah, I look forward to seeing your new work. Yeah, thanks so much. This was such a fun chat and I loved Matt's advice for all the budding illustrators out there about how to make it happen. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that I'm working on my own illustration career too. So I have to say it was amazing to pick uh, Matt's brains. If you've enjoyed our conversation, the best way to support this show is to share this episode on Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn or simply forward it to your friends who'll enjoy it. And to see video clips of today's conversation and of all the interviews, simply head to Instagram or TikTok and follow us at OnDesignPodcast. That's all for today. I'll see you here next week.